0: To be the church Jesus intends us to be, we, t- we must take responsibility for building up one another. If a person goes through the New Testament and, and goes searching for information about the church building, what they're gonna find is that there's nothing about the brick and mortar building, which we often mistakenly refer to as our church. If someone says, Where do you go to church? You say, I go to church at the opera house. And you think of the opera house as your church. In the New Testament, never ever is a building discussed like that. But on the other hand, the church building is always described as a living phenomenon that is constructed of the people that God is bringing together in it. And what I want you to see this morning is that we are the church and we're responsible for church building. Listen now, not church building as a noun, but as a verb for building the church together. And that's the invitation that Jesus is gonna give us together this morning. Now, this message is a part of a series which we mapped out in October. And when we mapped it out, Dave and Jared and I sat down and said, here's what the schedule's gonna look like. And this was to be the Sunday where we talked about church building. We didn't know then that on Sunday last week, we would find out that we've been invited to start drawing up a contract for a church building that we've purchased just 3.7 miles from here. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's surprising. And I, I wanna give you some background. Okay, I wanna give you a background. When Michelle and I, and that's my wife, when we arrived here at the church, we drew up a list of pros and cons when it came to whether we should decide to come to Renaissance Church and to work here. And, and very high up on my list of pros was they have a building, and so we won't have to worry about changing that. <laughs> and beside that, it's a great space. Don't you think the Opera House is a great space? It's uniquely inviting. Just the, the atmosphere is so conducive to, to building in many ways, and, and it's right downtown. I can walk to 10 restaurants, all of which are equally unhealthy for me to eat lunch at, and I do it all the time. So there's all of these benefits to it. But but after being here for just six months, uh, the team started to say, we have to start thinking again about getting a new building. And I, inside, I was like, God, no. But outside, I said, of course we do. And, and so there were reasons. The place is is too small for how many people God has brought here. The, the congregation has doubled in size over the last three years. Uh, there aren't enough bathrooms. <laughs> there's, this is very important. There's no place for people to gather together after the service to get to know one another, and that is a massive inhibition in what God wants to build here. Regularly, I see your faces and think, I wanna say hello to them this morning, and then as, as, the, as the time ends, there's no way. And then this. It's a great space if you have the energy and the ability to climb up all the stairs. (laughs) What what about folks who are disabled or too old? And so really two years ago in earnest, a facilities team started working really hard in finding our next space. And I cannot tell you how many hours the facilities team spent working on looking at places, trying to find something close and that would fit our, our community and also wouldn't inhibit us financially in terms of the burden it would be to find a new spot. They prayed, I prayed with them. In this last year, Jared took that over and, and monthly meetings and innumerable emails and so many different dead ends as we worked at finding what was next. And then, and then listen now, this is what makes me so happy about what's next. Almost with no effort on our part, after we had given up on every other thing, uh, just eight weeks ago, we learned that there's a building 3.7 miles from here, a congregation that built a building not too long ago that was big but after that, their congregation started to struggle. And their problem was they had a building that was way too big for them and they didn't have the finances for it. And our problem was that we didn't have a building that was big enough for us. And so we met and we, we walked through it. When, when I first uh, looked at the site, my sense was it's too small. I looked at it from Google Maps. I thought it's too small for us. But then when we got over there, what we discovered, listen to this, is it's three times the size of what we lease right now. They're almost 35,000 square feet. You can't tell from the road. And then when we walked through it, I thought they're gonna want way more than we can afford. It is a third of what we were looking at in other areas. And and this is why, because the congregation doesn't wanna make money. This small congregation has said, we wanna cover our debt and have enough money to go somewhere to continue in ministry as we are. And it just seems like these two things overlap in a way that God has said, this is what I've given to you. And so on Sunday night, that congregation said, we're gonna move forward and we're drawing up a contract right now. You have, yeah, it's, it's worth doing that. There's, there's a lot of work ahead of us, a lot of work. A lot of work contractually, a lot of figuring all the details out, and that's, there's people working on that now. There's going to be work that's required of all of us. Ministry teams are going to be invited to say, here's what the space should do if it's going to serve my mission in the part that I'm involved in, and we want to do that for teaching children, for having small groups, for having education, for having worship. We're we're also gonna be invited, all of us, I'm gonna invite us to put the money that we have into this so that we can buy it without having to go into debt, and so that we can build it in a way that suits our mission. But here is why, to me, it's just so timely that we learned about this coming through on last Sunday night, because I'm responsible for helping us faithfully build the church. And one of the biggest mistakes that Christians make or communities of faith make, is mistaking the building for the building. When in fact, we are the church which God means to build. And so in these months ahead, you can clap for that too. It, it Listen, in some measure, it doesn't matter where we meet. We're, we're this church, right? But we want to have a place that enables us to do our mission well, and that's what we're moving toward. But what I'm going to do as the pastor in these months ahead is my part in helping encourage us to know the way we're called to build the church by building up each other. And that's a lesson that we should always have in mind, especially in this season. And whether we're here at this church regularly or not, it's a message that every person who's being built into the community that Jesus is building should have in mind so they can be a part of the community that Jesus intends. Peter is going to be our primary teacher this morning. In the letter that he wrote to and this is how he described his, his, uh, the people who received his letter. In the letter that he wrote to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, he addressed a community that had been dispersed from the temple in Jerusalem, which was their church building, and yet they still needed to grow as followers of Jesus where they found themselves. And so with that in mind, he built them up so they could be the church building that, that Jesus intended. And when he addressed them, he taught them using the metaphor of a building spiritually. And this is what we need to get into our minds and hearts if we're gonna be the community that Jesus intends. He taught them to think about their relationship with one another according to this metaphor and their relationship with Jesus also according to the metaphor of a building. I want you to see uh, the way he put it in 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Here's how he instructed those folks. Listen. Come to him a living stone The rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. I hope you can tell who he's talking about. The invitation is to come to Jesus, who was rejected by mortals, Peter saw it with his own eyes that even though Jesus came to his own people, they did not receive him, but they rejected him. And what Peter knew is that rejection was actually a part of God's plan because God had chosen Jesus. And God had chosen Jesus, who was precious in God's sight, to be the one, listen to this, who through his rejection would open the door into God's house to all people. Now, that's a mouthful, but, but did you follow that? That because Jesus was rejected, The door to God's house was open to anyone who would come and trust in him. And you should know that this morning, that if your heart is needy and your life is confused and you feel trapped, well, the good news is that because God came in Jesus and and, and allowed Jesus to be rejected, the door is open to you to come home into the house that God is building for anyone who will come and trust Jesus. In that house, I want you to notice the way that Peter refers to Jesus. He calls him A living stone. There's a building metaphor. Do you see it? Jesus is a particular part of the structure which God means to build. Now, in Peter's mind, there are old promises that are ringing around in his ears and in his heart from the prophet Isaiah, through whom God instructed the people of Israel, the Jewish people, through whom God said to them, Don't despair. I still have a great plan for you. And the plan is gonna involve a construction project. And the constructing that I'm going to do, God said to those people, is to build in Zion a spiritual building of which there will be a cornerstone, the Messiah. The cornerstone is the stone in the building which architecturally determines the entire structure upon which it's built, upon which it's determined. Jesus Messiah is going to come, and though he's rejected, his rejection will contribute to his being the foundation upon which this new building will be built, and the invitation which Peter gives to all of us now is to come to him, to come to Jesus. And listen, if you'll come to Jesus, he'll receive you because he is through and through Grace and love. And if you come to him as Peter intends here, watch what happens. This is verse 5. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here is very precise instructions for how to think of ourselves individually and how to think of ourselves all together in relationship to the living stone, Jesus, who is the cornerstone. A holy priesthood is that body that serves the function of standing between God on the one hand and humanity on the other that has been alienated from God in order to foster connection where it needs to happen. Do you think our world needs to be more fruitfully connected to God in these days, yes? Yeah, hear Peter saying, the spiritual community that I'm gonna build is gonna serve that function. And not only the function of a holy priesthood connecting, but also the community that's gonna offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. If you listen to Jesus and say, what kind of sacrifices do you expect us to make to God? The answers are simple. Sacrifices of thanksgiving, Jesus says. Be grateful, people. That's what God wants. Make a sacrifice of mercy. He says, go reach out to the people that everyone else is shutting their doors to. Open your doors to those people. That's the sacrifice that God accepts, to build a house that is a merciful house, to make a sacrifice of love. Nothing compares to that. We see that in the New Testament, that if you want to know what God requires in terms of acceptable sacrifices over everything else, love one another. How magnificently beautiful and simple that is, don't you think? And the way that's gonna happen, according to Peter, is when we allow ourselves, look, he uses the same phrase of us that he used of Jesus. When we look at ourselves and say, we are living stones. And so as you're thinking now this morning, in light of this announcement that we've got a a church building in Springfield that we're gonna be moving toward, and you've got a lot of questions about it, don't you? I didn't answer all your questions, did I? Did I? No, you gotta come to Vision Night, okay? February 20th. We're gonna answer every question there. But before you start asking that, I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to accept God's word, which tells you think of yourself as a living stone. You are gonna be a part of this building project. And the way you're gonna do that is you're gonna say, all right, I'm a stone in this building. I'm one of the components, the architectural components that God's gonna be using to construct his church there. And you have to look at yourself like that. Not thinking of the building as that thing, but this Stuff here all being brought together. And with that in mind, Peter's instruction is this. Here's his imperative. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. That's the guidance we need to receive here at the beginning of this new phase of our lives as a church together, moving toward purchasing a building. It is that we're challenged to let ourselves be built into a spiritual house to see the building we move into as a tool and an instrument for the true church, which is the spiritual house that God's building us into as we let ourselves be built into it. It raises the question practically, how sh- how would we let ourselves be built into that house? And the answer the New Testament gives is very specific. It comes in this imperative, build up one another. And the reason I have no scriptural citation there is because this Imperative appears so frequently in the New Testament. Uh, Over and again, those who were following Jesus knew that the way they could instruct others to be builders of the church is by pointing them to one another and telling them what you bear responsibility for with one another is to build up the other people that God has been bringing you into the community. We wanna dwell here a little bit on the language because it's actually very helpful. When you come across this phrase in the New Testament, The Greek word beneath it is oikodomain. It's it's a compound Greek word. The noun oikos means dwelling or house or or an especially delicious yogurt, I've learned. (laughs) And then the verb demo means to build or to construct. And so together it literally means construct a dwelling or build a place for your life to unfold in. And so when the, when the apostles, when, when the disciples instruct the communities of faith to be concerned with oikodomain, he's saying build a life together where you can dwell so that your building up of one another, builds the spiritual house that Jesus means to build for his purposes. Outside of the Bible, oikodomain, uh, it was first literally used for the construction of a temple or a home or even the pyramids. You can find it in the ancient literature in that way. But early on, the Greek... Moral philosophers saw the metaphorical potential in this word, and they adapted it in order to instruct their students for how to make progress intellectually, spiritually, and morally. Okay, Epicurus, for instance, was one of the earliest to do this. In, in 300 years before uh, Peter appeared on the scene, um, Epicurus developed a system of soul formation. He was a philosopher who believed in the potential of philosophy to actually form the souls of people so that their lives would have less fear, more peace and happiness, so that they would be free of unnecessary fear. And in that way, they would construct a dwelling in which their lives could unfold better than in other ways. His pro- it sounds good, don't you think? His process for enacting philosophy... If some of you are like, I had Philosophy 101 nonsense... No philosophy haters here from college? Some of you are dreading the fact that your children are saying, I think I'm going to study philosophy in school. Don't despair. His process involved the development of friendship groups, circles of friends in which members would take responsibility for one another within their relational circles, where they would take on the goal of mutual upbuilding. Instead of worrying about how to progress themselves, they would look at the others in the friendship groups in their philosophy school and take responsibility for trying to encourage them to make progress in character development, helping each other to grow in all the ways that uh, they knew they could grow if they were going to make progress in oikodomain, building one another up. Now, that approach of Epicurus was so effective that even though 300 years passed and his name wasn't necessarily associated with it, when you look at the way Jesus operates with his disciples, you can see, here's a living example of the building up of a friendship circle who are gonna take responsibility for one another's growth. Do you see that? Who are gonna become the ones that build up each other for the sake of the kind of growth that their teacher intends. Jesus was different than Epicurus. He didn't just want to build happy lives that were free of pain and, and, and had more peace in them. Though Jesus wants those things for us. Instead, Jesus was building in his disciples a community that was going to take on the greatest mission that could ever be taken on, which was to share the gospel in the world. And not only that, he promised that after he departed, and and no other teacher had done this before, to be present spiritually with his students through the power of the Holy Spirit to enable them to do for one another what they couldn't otherwise do, oikodomein. That is... Jesus promised to build up his community, his church, so that it could carry the mission forward of sharing the gospel, and he also promised to be present in that spiritual building as the cornerstone as long as they would endeavor to do what needed to be done so that they could be the community he intended, and that is to build one another up. So here we are in 2020, and it's the wintertime, and by the late spring or early summer, we will be in a new physical building God willing, would you pray for that please, yes? And then the question comes down to, okay, once we're there, how will we take responsibility for church building? And what I've got is the most practical guidance I know how to give, And that is five instructional words for builders, which come from the New Testament's way of teaching us how to build one another up. Okay, I want you to consider this a five-word manual for how to be a builder of others. And that's how you're meant to look at yourselves. That's what Peter taught us. To say, I'm a living stone who's responsible for building other living stones into this community. How will I do it? Here's instructional word number one. It is encourage. Over and over again in the New Testament, when we see the language of church building as a living phenomenon, we see this word encourage in immediate connection with the teaching about building up one another. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11, for an example. There it says, encourage one another and build up each other, even as you are doing Paul wrote that to the community in Thessaloniki because there he saw men and women who were living the gospel by building up one another through their mutual encouragement. And so for us, our first go-to strategy when it comes to building the church is going to be to look at the people around us and ask ourselves, how can I encourage that other person and in that way, build them up? Do you know that all around us are people's uh, people whose lives have circumstances in them which make them feel the opposite of courageous, which instead make them feel afraid and giving up. Do you know that? Are, so, are some of you able in this morning to acknowledge that, that that's where you are? Yes or no? Yes, some of you are. And, and, and what you represent for those others of us who are in this church is our opportunity to build up the people around us through encouragement. That is, If you're feeling discouraged because of life, then that's our opportunity to be good church builders by building into you courage. And I'll tell you, the potential for that is hard to overestimate. I see it with my own eyes. The unique gifts that God gives us in opportunities to build each other up by simply deciding to go to the people around us and strategically encourage them. There are so many ways we can do that. To come alongside someone who's very, very uneasy because of life, and comfort them. That's what it means to encourage. Or to go go beside someone who's in a fight that's too strong for them and to advocate for them by fighting their foe right beside them. Or to go beside someone who's befuddled and confused because of life and offer guidance to them. That's another way to encourage. In fact, in Greek, the word encourage literally means to come alongside in order to comfort or to advocate for or to guide And this is our first instructional word, to look at the people around us and where someone's uncomfortable, to come alongside them to speak some words of comfort or to offer the the comfort of not saying anything. Haven't you ever been comforted by a good listener? Or to just put a hand on the shoulder and comfort in that way and encourage. Or or to come to someone who's got a fight And fight with them against that foe. That's what it means to advocate for, to stand up for someone who's too weak by themselves. And we're invited to do that. Or to guide someone who's lost by giving them words of wisdom and encouragement. And we're called to do that in the church. And that's the first way that we're going to build each other up, encouragement. Now, we need to add immediately a second instructional word which offers some limits, okay, on how we encourage with our words. Since... Can you admit this? It's easy to go too far when you try to encourage someone when you start telling them how they can improve. Has that ever happened to you? Where someone's encouraging you and it's like they know everything and they're just giving it all to you and the only reason I know about this is because I'm prone to do this. There's a thin line between helpful encouragement and unhelpful criticism. Can someone say amen? So here's the second key word for us who want to encourage through our words. It's Edit. It's good to use your words to encourage, but sometimes the best way for you to build up is to shut up. Mm. (laughs) Hmm. To edit what comes out of your mouth. Maybe even to stop talking and in that way build up somebody. Here, look at how Paul offered guidance to the, the church in Ephesus. In 429, he said this, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is useful for building up one another. And this is stunning. He sets in juxtaposition two different kinds of speech. On the one hand, that which is useful for building up, and on the other hand, evil. And if you follow him strictly, it means anything that doesn't build up falls into the category that he calls evil. And so that means when I go to my colleague and I wanna offer feedback about his performance, and really it's just veiled criticism to make me feel better about myself, I shouldn't say it at all unless it builds him up. If it's not gonna build him up I should just be quiet because otherwise that's evil. Or when I have a daughter who made the very mistake I warned her not to make, even though I incessantly told her, this is what's going to happen if you do it. Anyone been in that situation? And then she comes to me and she feels bad because she knows I I told her that and and she she feels awful because of how hard things are, that I don't build her up by saying, I told you this was going to happen, didn't I? Anybody else do that? No, we've never done that. (laughs) Or if your spouse is frustrating you again by doing that same thing, nobody in here knows what that's like, Right? And he needs to change what he's doing. But you know that if you open your mouth when you're feeling like you are right now, that you're going to tear him down. So before you speak, edit. And that's the, that's the lesson here. Leave some of the things that could be said out. If it's not gonna build up, don't say it. And it's not just in relationships at home or at work or with our family that we have to learn this, but also in the church. Don't you know that we Christians can be chronically, well, chronically guilty of saying too much? Right? Every time a disciple makes a mistake or thinks differently than you do and they're wrong, you don't always need to go and tell them that. You don't. Or every time another Christian is operating in a way that you don't approve of, it's not that important as maybe you think to make sure everybody around you knows that you are sure that they're wrong. Uh, Okay, of course, sometimes to faithfully build up, we do need to do some demolition first. We We do need to do that. We have to be uh, and we have to take responsibility for admonishing one another. And in fact, I'm going to talk about that next week. One whole message for that. But for this morning, we have to know that discerning the line between helpful bu- building up or encouragement through our words and, and just destructive criticism is a very thin line, and we need God to guide us, and that will mean often we have to edit. We don't have to say everything that we're thinking of. And that's the second one. Isn't that a great a great lesson for how to be a good builder? Yes? Yeah, please let's take that to heart. Now, there's a third a third instructional word. It's along these same lines, and it's the word adjust. Sometimes in order to encourage and also edit effectively, we also need to adjust the way that we've always done things, especially when our way of doing things are experienced by others as tearing them down, even if, strictly speaking, we are completely justified in behaving in that way. And here I'm asking us to be really mature, okay? because this is not easy. And I'll make it personal about me. For instance, I happen to be very good at being critical. It's one of my gifts. (laughs) I I can see what's wrong and then zoom in on it and tell other people how to do things better. I'm very good at that. Now, I've learned that it turns out that for some people, this is experienced as unreasonably critical or nitpicking. I can't understand why. (laughs) But when I recognize that, listen now, even when I'm trying my best, to give that advice to build up. When I recognize that it's making the other person feel torn down, it is my responsibility to adjust my behavior for the sake of building that other up within reason, it is. And this also comes from scripture. Being a person who follows Jesus, who builds up others, will require of all of us a willingness to cease certain behaviors which are completely right in themselves for the sake of preventing a negative impact on others, of course within reason, and this requires maturity of us, but but there are freedoms that are mine in Christ which if I exercise them might actually hurt another person and that's when I have to adjust my behavior. Uh, we talked about Romans uh, in the past. Paul had a community where people were exercising their freedom to eat whatever they wanted and to enjoy wine reasonably, but in that community there were some people who, who, who were really hurt by that. And so here's what he wrote, look at it, and this is our rule, 1421, it is not good Sorry, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. That was the rule for him. If you have a behavior which in itself is right, but on the other hand causes someone that you're building with another living stone to fall out of the building. When that happens, be willing to adjust your behavior within that circle of influence you have. If you discover that a behavior or attitude of yours is making them fall, stop doing it. If there's a subject that when you discuss it, it always causes more heat than light. Do any of us have subjects like that with certain people around us? Yeah, and I'm not even going to say what those are because it'll cause you to feel bad. If there's any action that causes them to fall, adjust to build them up. That's the third instructional word. Now, a fourth, and this one is my personal favorite in the list. Nudge. Okay, not Nudge, like the noun, but nudge, like the verb, because sometimes, listen, to move in the right direction, you need someone to prod you. Is there anyone else like that who gets stubborn and stuck in ruts, and you're only going to go the right way if someone puts their elbow in your side? In the church, we can build one another up by nudging one another toward doing what is good. Now, I borrowed this term from the field of behavioral economics. And some of you might have come across this if you work in the certain uh, fields. But, but nudge in that, uh, in that community describes any strategic positive influence which is engineered to move a potential customer toward a particular goal. All right, stay with me. Here's how the nudge is defined. It's any aspect of the choice architecture that alters people's behavior in a predictable way without forbidding any options, but creating the conditions that are more likely to reinforce behavior that goes toward a beneficial outcome. Uh, Here's a specific example. If you want to increase the health of, of, of a consumer body within a particular locale, you encourage the stores to put the fruit at eye level instead of the Doritos at eye level and you nudge them toward better behaviors in that way. The author who wrote the the book of Hebrews in the Bible uh, encouraged the community of faith, that's us here, to be creative in the way we nudge one another toward the kinds of things that will build us up. Look at these words in Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to provoke one another on to love and good deeds. That's guidance for us that says, think strategically together about how you can set others up to be more successful in loving the people around them. Uh, strategize together on how to nudge each other in the right direction. Now, Of course, this will be hard for us to do. There's so many of us here if we don't know the people around us, but think back to Epicurus and his guidance that you should form friendship circles where you take responsibility for one another. Here, think of the people that you spent time with on Saturday night, hanging out with and laughing with. Or the folks who you're going to have over to your house. And if you don't have anyone over from from church to your house for dinner, change that. Invite them over so you can build each other up. But then he says, look at one another and think, how can I push them in a direction that's good for them creatively? When I was a kid, my father was an expert nudger. I'm serious. He didn't like demand that we do things, but he was creative in moving us in the right direction. My mom and dad had a rule that you had to eat all the food that was put on the table before you. There was no question about that. Anybody else have that rule when you were a kid? I think it was a good rule, right? My mom used to serve pea soup, and that did not look good or sound good to kids who loved potty humor. And it was, it was served to us in a a glass bowl that was big enough for us to take a bath in when we were kids, and we had to eat it. And, and, and instead of fighting, my father, I remember the first time she put it out there, my father took a $1 bill out, and he slid it under the bowl, and he said, when you can read the serial number on that bill, it's yours. And we ate the whole bowl and loved pea soup after that because it was absolutely delicious. But here, I'm asking you to consider exercising that kind of creativity in the other people around you who are trying to follow Jesus, who need help figuring out how to love or how to do good things. Uh, Maybe maybe you think, I can't get myself to do that. Do some of you struggle with that? Maybe you take your eyes off of yourself and try to make someone else do it and let someone else take responsibility for that for you. Should you give dollar, dollar bills to make it happen? Maybe. Inflation. That was a long time ago. It might be more than that. But I'm not saying... Well, maybe, maybe use whatever you have to encourage the people around you to to be moved toward love and good deeds. That's the fourth word. And now the fifth. And this is the broadest instruction and I've saved it for last because it's the broadest. It's the word share. Uh, not, Not just in the sense of giving objects to people, but rather being open with your lives with one another. And here's where we have to decide to take responsibility for connecting to some people that are in this church. Not everybody, there's too many but deciding to sit together and then when we're together, not holding onto our lives with a tight fist, but rather opening them up. And that means being real with each other. Uh, Really the deep, reason that we've put time and energy into, uh, into inviting people into small groups in this church, whether it's a community group or a discussion group or one of the groups that helps support people through their life, life, life challenges is that we're, we're sure that only when you begin to share your lives together can you actually take responsibility for building each other up as living stones into the church that we're responsible for building. Uh, the way Paul put it in Romans is perfect. It's Romans 12, 15. It's almost like a slogan. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I think that's a a poetic way of saying, share your lives together sincerely. And that means when you're excited about something because there's a victory in your life, tell the people in your friendship circle about it and then rejoice with each other, be glad. And, And then on the other hand, if there's some burden you're carrying, it's just too much to manage. Don't go on holding it onto it all by yourself, but actually share it with the people around you. And both of those, because that's how we're going to build up each other. Now look at all five of them. Uh, these five uh, are, are meant to be in the months ahead especially. Our guidance to save us from the mistake that we're going to be tempted toward as we start really putting energy and resources into this church building uh, that, we've, w- that we've bought in Springfield. It's gonna be of uh, a- consuming. and But what I'm gonna tell you as your pastor is that I'm gonna ask of you and I'm gonna commit myself to pay attention to the true church building that we're responsible for. And that is a church building that's going to be built up as we choose to encourage one another, and in that way, build up the church. As we're disciplined with the way that we talk to one another, so we edit what we could otherwise say, and in that way, build up the church. So that we take responsibility for adjusting where we need to. And we'll need to do that, yes? Uh, the more of us, the more that will be a responsibility. And adjusting together, uh, encouraging and editing and inju- adjusting together, so that we can nudge each other onto the great things that god wants us to do uh, for one another and then through us for this world which he loves and that will require us to be committed to sharing with one another and in that way all of us are going to be building the church building will you be a part of that with me and everyone else in here yes or no Yes, and if not here, listen, if not here, if you're from somewhere else, go back to that other place and bring that attitude toward the building up of the body there, and here's why, listen, because God has amazingly good things to do through the holy priesthood, through the community that's offering the sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ in the world. It is to be the community that brings his love where it is needed right here and right now. Shall we do it together? Yes, let's pray uh, for God's help in doing that. God, we love you and thank you for this church, for this community of living stones that you are bringing together and building up together. God, we thank you for your word, which offers clear guidance for how to do that. We ask very simply that the word that we've studied together today would form our self-understanding and help shape our relationship with you and with all of the other people that you're building into your community together. God, give us eyes to see how we can build up one another so that we become the architects with you of this great building that you are in the process of constructing. And then as we grow, use us to do your good work in the world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.